When Nathan Buckley ended his illustrious playing career after the 2007 season, he asked Nick Maxwell to wear his number five Collingwood jumper. The reason was simple. Buckley admired Maxwell for getting the best out of himself, which Buck saw as his own greatest achievement. Three years later, Maxwell became a Collingwood Premiership captain wearing number five. It's a fascinating story, Nick. And I'm really intrigued about the way the, uh, the jumper thing happened with Bucks. He was so keen for you to wear it. Did he actually make a written request to you? Uh, not written, no. Um, he, we were going on a plane to Las Vegas on an end-of-season trip with Josh Fraser. And he turned to me and said, I want you to wear number five. And uh, my immediate reaction was, uh, no thanks. And he said, why? And I said, well, why would you want me to wear it? And he basically said that he admired how I went about it and, um, and would like it to be sort of passed on to someone who he admired. Uh, I said, can I think about it? And um, I, I just thought, this guy's a, a champion of the game and a champion of the club, arguably the greatest player Collingwood's ever had. And, um, and who am I to, to, mm. to take on that? So I just thought it was probably a, a bigger deal than it was and, and I wasn't worthy. So um, I spoke to my, my now wife and my parents and... My parents are really keen for me to do it. Um, they said, look, it's a great honour and it shows that you sort of, um, you're on the right track. And um, after a few sort of um, debates amongst us, uh, I went back to them and said, yeah, OK, I'll do it. So um, the, the letter was separate. That was... Um, yeah, well, that was a letter to Mick. It was a letter that he wrote to Mick, yeah, yep. and he gave me a copy later, yep. um, which I still have. But that was... Uh, I, I think he mentioned the, the number five part, but it was also about leadership and, um, and where he thought my capabilities were and where I might end up. Isn't it funny how we, the outsiders, see Bucks as this beautifully gifted player, uh, could do everything in football, yet the thing that he's proudest, most proud of is the fact that he works so hard? Yeah, well, I, think, I think most players would say that. I think if you look at um, even our coaches at Collingwood, like Robert Harvey obviously won two Brownlow medals and, and he worked as hard as anyone as well. And I think when you look at um, the great players, you don't, you don't get there by luck. You get there by hard work and, and having that determination. So... Um, yeah, he was obviously a great player and, um, and, and someone who definitely got the best out of himself. Mm. Mickey Malthouse made you captain in 2009 and uh, 18 months later you're the premiership captain. It, uh, given the tough start you had to your football dream, uh, amazing climax, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I think probably the first half of my career was about proving people wrong. I, I sort of had that as a bit of a... Um, a carrot for myself to show people that I did deserve to be here and um, obviously coming off the rookie list and being overlooked a fair bit you're, you're desperate to, to prove that you deserve to be there and you want to make every post a winner and I think the second half of my career once I had I guess established myself as a player um, it was actually about proving people right and I didn't want to let down the people who'd put that faith in me uh, obviously Mick and, and Eddie and the board and and all our supporters and members by, um, by making sure that I was the best captain I could possibly mm -hmm. be and I've only captained one team in my whole life, um, so it wasn't like I, I had a, a, real, a book or an understanding of what was required. It was sort of a bit by feel and what I felt was right, and that probably was why it was a little bit easier for me in that I didn't do anything outside of the norm. I just did what I thought was right. You're an ex-Joeish Geelong boy, but did you had some doors slammed in your face on the way through, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Um, I was probably... I was a, a good player, I guess, at um, St Joseph's level and always played in the interleagues and that type of thing, but... I just loved footy and I just wanted to play AFL footy. I used to obviously watch on the weekends and watch on TV and that's what I wanted to be. And I didn't play many other sports. I played cricket, but I uh, wasn't very good at that either. So uh, <laughs> it was footy was my passion. And um, 
I got invited to the Falcons as a 14-year-old, 15-year-old, 16-year-old, 17-year-old and um, got down the track a fair way in those squads and then uh, and was cut before the final squads were announced. In, every, um, in each of those years? Yeah, in each yeah. of those years, yeah. yeah. And then uh, found myself back at Joey's every year and uh, it wasn't until uh, my last crack, I don't know why, why Mickey Turner kept inviting me back, but uh, he and Damien Christensen um, saw enough of me for that last year as an 18-year-old to invite me back and lucky enough to play every game there with uh, had a pretty reasonable team. We had Hodge, Ablett, Bartell, <laughs> Brent Maloney, Matt Maguire, Tim Callan. Jeez, I hope you won that year, did you? We didn't, no. We <laughs> lost a prelim, actually. Did but you? Yeah, funnily enough, amongst those players, um, I actually won best player in finals and I think that's when, um, I guess, the interest really started to, to, to ramp up and clubs start interviewing your teachers and um, your principal at school and your, your footy coaches and obviously come around to see me and my family. So, But the frustration wasn't over for you, was it? I mean, from there, you, uh, well, according to what I've read, there were three clubs at least that just said, uh, uh, thanks but no thanks. Yeah, well, there was eight clubs. So I missed out in the draft and there was eight clubs who rang the next day to, to go for a rookie spot. Um, I went to Port Adelaide. We sort of thought that that was the right decision to make, and uh, I walked in the door and met Choco, and um, he was a, he was a big fan of mine um, in those early years, and uh, he certainly he pushed pretty hard to get me there. But I had, which I didn't know at the time, their doctor actually diagnosed me with osteitis pubis, and, okay. uh, yep. and, and yep. no one had it, and then all of a sudden everyone had it. So they uh, they said we didn't know how to treat it, and we couldn't pick an interstate player um, on our rookie list. So. I went, uh, got back from Adelaide and went to Hawthorne and I knew Hodgie had it a lot worse. Mm. Um, so I ended up training there for a month and, and Hodgie actually had the same injury. I stayed at his uncle's house actually. So um, got through that period and, and, uh, and wasn't picked there. So I guess because I hadn't been in that Falcon system, it was more of a pipe dream than anything. And I'd worked pretty hard at school and, and got into Ballarat University uh, where I wanted to be and played VFL footy there with the Roosters for a year. and. Had one of the best years of my life. Just loved, uh, I guess, being out of the home for the first time, but just such a great um, culture. We didn't win too many games, but we just had so many good people there. And Jared Fitzgerald was a coach and just loved it. And uh, end of that year came and ended up at Geelong for a month. And um, well, fortunately and unfortunately, they ended up saying, Bomber said, no, we, we don't want you. And, um, Did he say that to you directly? Yeah, he called yeah. me into his office and yeah. I thought that was good that he, um, he had, I guess, respectful enough to, to bring me to his office and talk to me one-on-one -on -one. and he wanted me to play in the, the top-up list for the VFL but I was already playing VFL at North Ballarat so I, uh, I said thanks for the interest but, but no thanks and, um, and, th and that was it, I thought that was it and uh, it wasn't until the next day that a couple of days later I got a text message um, from a mate who actually said well done and I rang him up and said what are you talking about and uh, he said Collingwood had picked me and I said no, nah, no, nah, I'd, I'd know about it if I'd been picked and I hung up the phone, I had four voicemails and uh, one by one I went through them. It was Noel Judkins recruiting officer from Collingwood and um, I, just, I was going to meet my mates at the pub actually because it was just before, uh, <laughs> just before Christmas. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, they get catching up with schoolmates and um, I deleted Juddo's message. I just thought it was a stitch up from the boys at home. Um, the second one was... So no Noel Judkins rang you, left it was a legitimate up. call yeah. and you thought it was a mate. Yep, yeah. so I deleted that and... <laughs> Next one was Mick Moldhouse, and I was like, "Yeah, of course it is," and I deleted that. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> Third one was um, was Peter Lenton, who was my manager, and I thought my mates wouldn't know who he was. And mm. uh, and the fourth one was Bucks, actually, and that's sort of how I found out that I, I'd made it to the Pies. All welcoming you to Collingwood. Yeah, yeah, yeah all, all welcoming you there. Did was your resolve? It certainly would have been under threat on the way through. But did you ever get to the point to sort of say, "Look, I'm not going to achieve this dream"? Uh, oh, you probably go through that where you think you're not going to, but. Um, 
I just thought I'm, I'm not going to I'm not going to die wondering. I'm just mm. going to keep going until that's there's no possibility. So even once you get to a club, um, particularly where we were at that stage, the rookies weren't weren't really promoted. We my first year at Collingwood, um, I was a Williamstown player. I mm. trained with the, the full team. I trained once and. Uh, Mick would say that um, the, the bottom sort of 10 or 12 in the list, um, he laughs about it now, but uh, he didn't want us training with the main squad because he felt like we would stuff <laughs> training up. And uh, so I was lucky we had um, a great culture at Williamstown. A lot of times it doesn't work where you've got an AFL club and a VFL club combined, but um, Troy West and Brad Lloyd and Sam Cranage and all these boys who were down there, they just opened us with welcome arms and... Um, Brad Gotch had a great culture there and, and we went on to win the Premiership in 2003 so I'm, I'm forever grateful to the Williamstown Footy Club for their support. Now I don't want to be too blunt here Nick but when you were made captain in 2009 I think there was an external view that we wonder whether this bloke as in Nick Maxwell yep. is actually a lock in the best 22 at Collingwood. I think it's probably an internal view as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah and, and for me again I didn't know I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I Mick asked, Mick and Jeff Walsh, um, it was, yeah, it was Walsh, yeah, they asked about four or five of us to come in and basically have a, a 15, 20 minute chat to each of them um, about it, about the captaincy and about where we're at as a team. And um, we'd all sort of met before, it was like Fraser and O'Brien and uh, Lockyer and Pendlebury. Um, and we just said, we don't really care who, who it is, we're going to get right behind whoever it is. And, I thought Josh was was the one who would have uh, who was going to take it, mm. and, and then when Eddie turned to me in a in a big board meeting and said it was me, I was sort of I was as shocked as anyone. Mm. So um, again, it's it's right place, right time, and, and people who believe in you, and um, and then yeah, as I said, I just fell into it a little bit, I guess. Were you as keen on the job when you got caught up in the uh, the clumsy transition from Mick to Bucks? as the coach? I mean, there was my understanding. Uh, again, this is an outside, an external view, but that. The atmosphere in the club in the was almost toxic at the time. No, I don't think it was toxic. I think that um, from our perspective, it was. I think it was about round nine, two thousand and nine, when it was announced. Obviously, it was going on in the background, uh, the discussions. But we were. I think we were three and six travelling to Perth, the way I remember it, and um, to a, a red hot West Coast. And so, at that stage, things weren't looking great for us. Um, but we managed to turn that around. Um, lose a prelim, win a premiership and lose a grand final. So, I mean, I've debated with Mick about um, how I think he made calls because he knew there was an expiry date on his coaching career at Collingwood. I think that he, he, went, he made decisions he might not have otherwise made. Mm. Um, he, he doesn't agree with that, but <laughs> that's, uh, I guess that's our relationship as well. We debated a lot of things. Um, but in the end, it was, you're captain of the club, you've got a job to do, and that's to get the, the best out of the playing group and to support the coaches in any way possible and support the club. But how difficult is it when you've got the coach who made you captain in Michael Moldhouse and Bucks, who was sort of your big brother when you played? There was clearly a division at Collingwood, wasn't there? Well, my understanding was that it had all been agreed upon. It wasn't until later on when you dig deeper that maybe they weren't all convinced, but... There's a lot of different versions of that story. Um, I, I tend not to really worry about what happened and more worry about the situation we had and obviously winning a premiership and then going to 2011 where we were on top of the ladder at the end of the season and, I mean, we lost to one team for the whole year. So um, we were up there challenging again and, and I understood that it would have been difficult for both of them and I'm sure that Mick, he didn't want to let go. He wanted to keep coaching because he felt he had a team that was a chance of winning for the next couple of years because we were young and the same breath, it would have been tough for Bucks because... He knew that all these players were playing for Mick, 
and mm. he had to come in and, and be part of that change. And um, and I'm sure it would have gone through his mind, listen, do I, do I take another year and, and wait another year in the wings? But in the end, what the decisions that were made a few years before were the decisions that um, we stuck with. And, and as a club, you, you do best with, with what you got. But there was a group that were fierce Malthouse disciples, weren't there? Oh, of course there was, and, yeah. and there should be too. I mean, that's why we were a decent team through that, through that period, because we loved our coach and we worked for him. And no one likes change. Everyone wants things, <clears throat> excuse me, as soon as, when things are going well, you want them to keep going well. So people don't want to change things, but in the end, that's, uh, change comes and it's how you deal with it. So it, was, uh, it wasn't a smooth transition. I think that um, a lot of players felt that... Um, they, they couldn't cope with the differences, but at the same time, when you cap them to the club, um, you've got to try and support the players who are who are there because obviously they're they're your boys and they're your teammates. But you've also got to support the new coach coming in and try and help him. Was there a rat pack at Collingwood, Nick? I think it gets overblown a bit. I think the boys play up on it and they enjoy it. But um, look, I've, I'm really close with all those boys and uh, got a lot of love for them, and mm. um, they did things differently. And I think that while I respected them as individuals and I think they respected me. They, I didn't try and change them. I wanted them to be their personalities and be who they were and um, I think they were. And there's always that fine balance between enjoying yourself and having a good time and at the same time um, having the seriousness and understanding of where we were as a club. And um, at times that was crossed and not just by um, some of those boys but by everyone. And uh, I think it's just that balance. And, and if you get your relationships right, then I think that people understand that um, people are coming from the right places for the right reasons and, and we're all on the same page and you had to be on the same page to have some success. Was Bucks inflexible back then? He was less flexible than what he is now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think when you've um, probably even the last couple of years as a player he was obviously injured a lot and he fully committed himself to, to getting back from that but at the same time when you want to be a coach just like Scott Pendlebury does he'd be looking at things now about right when I'm a coach how am I going to do things so by 2012 when Bucks took over he would have had probably four or five years planning for that mm. moment. And um, when you get in the seat, I think things are different to probably to what you expect they're going to be because um, it's an ever-evolving role as a senior coach. And um, But now I think he's got the balance right. I think he understands exactly when he, he should let go and let other people steer the ship and when he needs to actually take control. And I think that's probably something you've seen on field, the way the boys are playing this year. I can't sit across from you and not talk about 2010, uh, September and the first week of October of 2010. You played four finals. You averaged 19 possessions in the final series. There's one special moment for you, isn't there, that I think that if you reflect on what you did, you're proudest of. That was in the, late in the game in the drawn grand final against St Kilda. Yeah, there was probably um, there was a moment where, uh, after Goddard's mark and goal, where we were behind and we had about four minutes to play and... Um, that's when I actually went, you know what, these guys have got us. Um, I've got to try something. If the ball comes in my area again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a crack and, I guess, um, risk them kicking another goal, but for us to try and have a crack at something. And um, There was a situation where I, I probably would have punched the ball out of bounds a hundred times mm. out of a hundred to that point, but I flew early and went for a mark and played on completely against Mick's game plan into the corridor. Uh, and uh, we managed to, to make our way down and kick a goal. And, get back in front and it's probably not something that's identified with as people they talk, they identify the touch on the line or mm. the or a special goal from others other people and things like that but 
I guess in that moment when you, you put a bit of pressure on yourself as a leader to say, oh, I, have to, I have to do something here, I've got to try something here. And um, I'm sure a lot of players on both sides did that uh, in that last quarter. But um, I guess for me to do something that was completely unnatural was something that yeah, I am proud of because it helped us um, achieve what I felt we deserved the next week. I remember you were dirty after the game, after the draw, weren't you? Yeah. Matty Richardson interviewed you on the ground <laughs> and you said something like it's... A nonsense or a, a disgrace. Joke, yeah, yeah. yeah. It or was a joke, yeah. Look, it was. Um, I felt like I let down 80,000 members and all our supporters and, and all our staff and players because I was the leader of the club and, and we were there to win and we, we were supposed to win in my eyes. So you're pretty emotional. And um, I also, I, I, I just think it should have gone extra time. I think that that's mm. a way that, and, and obviously, which it, which it, it has now, now yeah. yeah. So, yeah. But that was something that, yeah, I, I sort of felt that I'd let everyone down as, as the leader of the footy club and um, and to have to. After everything you've gone through, to have to back up and do it again, um, even for that, for the first couple of hours, I was like, "How are we possibly going to do this?" Mm. Must be a, with all that adrenaline <laughs> gone, and so, so we've got to go through this again. But yeah. I bet you're glad you did. Well, it was actually it was Tarkin Ocker and Tyson Goldsack who changed my mindset. So um, I, if you remember, the the rooms got flooded with sewage, and oh, every, that's right. everyone yeah, got yeah. moved apart from eight players, four from each team, who had to get drug tested, of which I was one, and. Um, I was in there, and I was I was in there for over an hour and a half. Um, I couldn't wean on any mills. I was so dehydrated. Yeah. Um, so everyone else had come and gone, and I walked out, and all I had was my car keys. I had full playing kit still on, and uh, I walked out on the G, and it was just it was pitch black. That was clean as walking around, and I got in the car, and I was like, "How am I possibly going to try and get these yeah. boys up?" And I was uh, I walked into the club, and um, I heard running on the treadmill in our altitude room, and I looked in, and I saw Tarkanocker and Tyson Goldsack, and they were laughing, and they actually high-fived each other at the exact moment I opened the door, and um, I just sort of closed the door, and these two guys were the two emergencies um, for the game. The third emergency was Nathan Brown, who actually went in for Presti the day before, mm. and I just thought, wow, these two guys have they've just missed out on. Um, probably one of the biggest disappointments to, to miss out on being picked for a grand final and all of a sudden the, the door's back open for them and they've, they're a chance again and it just changed my mindset completely. I went from it's not opportunity lost, it's opportunity postponed mm. and, and, uh, and those two guys, are, yeah, they certainly helped. 2010 grand final replay, you win. Is there a moment from that day, from between when you woke up and when you went to bed that night, that's just as special for you? I mean, there are lots of them, I'm sure, but is there one that stands out? Is there a moment? I think when the siren went, yeah. it was that relief more than anything that you just, no one can ever take this away from you. Because mm-hmm. so many great players didn't get that opportunity. And you've got to be very lucky, right place, right time. And, and I was. So to, to have that and to say that you've got one was, was pretty special. Probably the second one was that night at our, um, at our function. I had my mum and dad and brother and sister and their partners and my wife and and all my f- real close friends there. Um, so with mm. them just to stand around and have photos with the carp and that type of thing, um, the ones who'd been there since the age of, uh, obviously, mum and dad the whole time, but yeah. all my mates who'd been there since the age of 12, 13, when we, we started school together, um, was, was really special. I want to ask you about, in your time as captain, and we talked about that difficulty with the Malthouse Buckley transition, but there was a tougher moment than that, wasn't there? Johnny McCarthy... Yeah, there was. That was um, that was probably one of my most difficult times in football. Um, I still remember I'd, I'd been suspended. We were, we were in the finals period and um, for, for a bump on Piopolo. And um, Gary Pert called in myself and, and Bucks and um, he sat us down and said, listen, we, we don't have a lot of information, but 
Um, we understand John McCarthy has, has died in Las Vegas and um, we didn't have all the information at that stage and it was a massive shock and, and he was someone who um, was much loved not only by me but by, um, by our footy club and by our, our staff and, um, and all the players. That, that was probably the hardest part. There was probably 10 or 12 boys who were really close to him and um, I sat in a room with, with Purdy, Bucks and and those boys, and we had to tell them that... Um, you or the... Who, who, who broke the news to them? I can't remember exactly how it happened, but um, I just remember there was a lot of tears. Mm. There was a lot of a lot of shock and a lot of questions because we didn't know what had happened. And um, I had this, this overwhelming fear that um, maybe we'd gone too early and that maybe we, we needed the information first. But these things have a way of, of um, I guess, getting out there and we, we didn't want the boys to hear from anyone else. And... Um, J-Mac was just, he was a ripper and he comes from such quality stock and mm. um, his mum and dad are the highest quality people in his family and um, yeah, that one was, that was, that was heartbreaking and that, that couple of week period there was, um, yeah, so hard to, to, to get through. So blokes in their mid-twenties, I mean, they think they're invincible, don't they? Yeah, they do and probably early in that, I think they were 21 to 23 in that bracket and, mm. um, and all those boys, um, yeah, I, I can't imagine how hard it was for them because... They've just lost one of their best mates in um, through a, a meeting through through one sentence from uh, I can't, as I said can't remember who it was but um, uh, yeah we just didn't have answers and um, I mean again what we were going through is nothing compared to what his family went through mm. but um, but what about the impact it, I mean you guys were, were, had to play football yeah um, and I know there's a grieving period and there should be yeah. and, it, and it takes some people longer than others but. How can you address the matter of playing football when one of your mates is gone? Oh, that was difficult because um, a lot of boys didn't want to play. Footy didn't really mean much to them after that. But we played West Coast and, and the boys got up and they won. They, they banded together and the next week, uh, on reflection, the boys talk about the energy. They just they had no energy left because they put everything into that first week. And I remember um, we were told that we couldn't attend the funeral because it was the day before the game. We had to travel to Sydney. Um, and... I just said, no way. There's no, no chance we're not going. Yeah. Um, so you as a group or you individually? I, I said it first. Because yeah. uh, I, I knew there's no way the boys would have, would have, uh, would have missed that opportunity to say goodbye and, um, and to be there for Johnny's family. So um, we trained in the morning. We got on the bus and, and travelled down. Uh, Sorrento? Yeah, on yeah. Friday. Yeah. Um, we had the funeral. We travelled back and, and we, we flew to Sydney. Yeah, look, we, we got better. Whether or not it made a difference, I think it did, but, um, but Sydney were too good for us on that night. But, but that was, yeah, it was a tough period. Nick, the captaincy changed at Collingwood after the 2013 season. Now, depending on who you talk to, my understanding is that Nathan said to you, Nick, come for a walk with me, we're going around the tan. And you had no idea what was coming. Is that true? Uh, is it true? I, I knew... I didn't know what exactly he wanted to talk about, but um, we'd been through that process and I said to him from the start that I'm not, I haven't got a big enough ego to think I should be captain or I have to be captain and um, I'd come off a, a pretty average year by, by what I felt was my standards um, as a player and as a coach he probably didn't know if I was going to fall off uh, into the abyss, but mm. um, I was not concerned at all whether I was captain or not. You weren't? Um, no. Nah, but you're not. a proud man, though. I mean, oh, and, and, and Pete, I mean, you're the captain of the biggest football club in the country. Yeah, of course. But it's also 
Um, Scotty had been my vice for quite a few years and, and, um, and it was obvious he was going to be captain at some stage. So um, it was probably more up to that point that Bucks is a new coach a couple of years in and um, wanting um, player empowerment and, uh, and we'd done all our voting and done all that sort of stuff, which I'd probably, I'd push back on pretty hard in terms of re removing myself from that. Um, because when, when someone gets a, when someone else takes on the role, you want them to have a free run on it. Mm -hmm. and you, you don't want someone to be there, I guess, in the shadows. Um, and I hope I wasn't, but I even said, can I be removed from the leadership group so that that didn't happen? But they said, no, we need you in the leadership group still to help guide. So it was, it was probably more what they felt was best and what I felt was best. And I, I didn't want Scotty to feel that he, he wasn't the man and he wasn't in control. Um, I didn't want him to think I was looking over his shoulder, but um, I guess only he can answer that in, in terms of whether I was or not, but um, I wanted him to have a free run at it when that time came. Nick, you're now um, the quaintly titled uh, Minister for Leadership and Culture at Collingwood, <laughs> correct? Yep. What does it mean in, in, in a sentence? I don't know what it means, really. I think um, in 2014, after I'd retired, uh, I was approached by Craig Bellamy and Frank Padisi from the Storm, and they sat me down and basically spoke to me about what they wanted to do with their leadership and, and offered me a role. Uh, so I'd never thought about going into leadership. I haven't done any degrees in leadership, mm. if you can do that. But, um, yeah, I've, I've been there for, for four years now and I've, I've loved it there at the Storm. And after a year there, um, Leon Cameron and Alan McConnell rang and asked me to, to catch up with them and I spoke to them about a role at the Giants. So... After a couple of years there, it was, uh, was time for, for Jeff Walsh and Peter Murphy, who um, were part of the review at the footy club through, through 2017. And they, uh, I guess the number one factor that came out of it was, was a lack of leadership, and, and that's what was required. So uh, I, I came back and, and met them, and I said, if, if I'm coming, I'm not just coming to do the leadership. I want it to be um, more meat on the bone. I want it to be bigger than that. And... Um, we basically put together a role where I work with netball, AFLW, and I have two groups in administration as well as the footy. So it's pretty broad, and I get to work um, through a lot of departments of the footy club, but you also get a really good understanding of what's working um, and, and where the issues are in the club. So you get to speak to the CEO a lot about things and the executive, and um, you get to have a lot of conversations and meet with a lot of people and, and help guide, um, I guess, the future leaders of the footy club. And on match days, you're the sounding board for the coach, is that right? Uh, sounding, well, not sounding, yeah, not all these messages board. come to you. They do, yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. Bucks will speak to me, and um, and I'll, I'll obviously we've got a runner, which uh, we've experienced that too, and know how tough a job that can be. So um, I pass on those messages to to the boys, and um, and don't pass on some messages. Um, you don't. No, well, sometimes um, obviously you're a bit of a filter as well. Yeah. So every message he sends eventually gets to the player, but you've got to also make those judgment calls on. If there's a couple that come on a row, which one's more important? Um, also, which ones are going to be better said face-to-face -face in four minutes when that player gets to the bench? So that happens a bit. You're working with two coaches. You still have a day a week at the Storm. Yep. I'm intrigued by Craig Bellamy. I know he's great at what he does, but I don't know why. Why, why, is, the, why is Storm so good under Bellamy? I think he leads by example. I think he's got um, one of the, the best work rates I've ever seen. Um, I'll sit in meetings uh, where, where Craig will be talking about the opposition, for example, and he does the defence. So he'll talk about um, how we need to defend. And there'll be times when he'll, he'll show a clip. I, I remember this one time uh, last year where he showed this clip and he said, now, I've only seen them do this once in the last six weeks, 
but they might do it, so I want you to be aware of it. Mm. And it was just how they scored this one try. And I just thought, how many games have you watched? Like, to mm. be able to say, I've seen every game in the last six weeks, and this is the one time they've run this one play, the attention to detail that he goes through is phenomenal. And it's probably... There's more. The meetings are longer uh, at the Storm. Don't um, players don't players hate meetings? They in, do in whatever code they, they, they do, play. But I think um, part of coming to the Storm is knowing that yeah, you're going to spend more time there mm. and you're going to work harder than probably you've ever worked before. But you're going to be rewarded. And I think because of the history and the culture and people have seen that you are rewarded as an individual, but also as a team. I think that guys understand, and, and that's why. He and Frank are very careful, and now Dave Donaghy, they're very careful on who they bring in. And that's not only players but staff, because a player might have a negative influence on a couple of players, but a staff member, they can have influence member on, on staff plus players. So you've got to make sure you get the right people. Hey, Nick, you've indicated the judgment of both Bucks, Re the jumper, and Mick, Re the captaincy. It's been a great career, given all the rebuffs you, stu- you, you incurred on the way through. You're entitled to be really proud of it, and I think we're going to see a lot of you in football for many years to come. Thanks, Thanks mate. Cheers, Mike.